Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Chassidus in the morning, 15 minutes to change your life. Last parak in the first Maimur of Basilgani. We'll try to do the impossible and finish it today, just in time for you to but uh, we'll see. So basically, yesterday's class was talking about the the issues that arise by giving into Nefesh Bahamas and, and not letting ourselves make proper decisions, good decisions. Nefesh Bahamas takes runs wild. We lose our sensitivity to godliness. And then it's all very uphill battle to try to reconnect. But we ultimately said that we don't lose the connection. Even when we do something, we talked about this, this rope of inheritance that we get cut when we do an Avera. And when you do an aware of Christmas, something that's like could cut off everything, then it's very obvious to us, and that's why we stand up so strong. But ultimately, this is not, this is more so talking about the connection between us and our, and our nephew, kiss, and not so much about us and God. We can never be disconnected from God. But now we're going to go back to a previous topic, which was in, in Paragimel, this concept of Shtus. Of foolishness. And now we're going to flip it. Now we're talking about the positive aspect of it. Let's see. Chapter 5. As we have seen, page 21. As we have seen, a man has a potential for deviating from the middle path by lowering lower than reason and understanding. This deviation by which he sinks to the level of an animal is called the folly of unholiness. Similarly, he has a potential for a deviation above reason and understanding. By means of this deviation, he can approach self-transcendence. But then you say so this is the positive aspect of it. You can go above logic, and that's called the folly of holiness. Thus, we read in Ksuvais, says in the Gemara on Ksuvais, Taf, Yud Zayin, 17, page 1, Amad Aleph, that it was said of Rabbi Huda, the son of Rabbi Lai, that at, a we- at weddings, he would twirl a sprig of myrtle as he danced before the bride. So imagine this big Talmud Chachim, and he's sitting there at the wedding, and he's dancing in front of the Kala. It's like a mitzvah dance type of thing. The Talmud goes on to say that Rav Shmuel by Rav Yitzchak danced. He would juggle three twigs of myrtle, Rashi explains. So and Rav Yitzchak would also dance. He'd be juggling. Imagine, imagine, like the leader generation, like the Rebbe or something, dancing and jumping and, and you know, and doing all these funny things. Said Rav Zera, this venerable sage is embarrassing us. So Rav Zera saw this, and he's like, what are you doing? It's all respectful. That's not how you have to behave. You're a Tamil Chachim. You have to behave differently. By making light of the respect to the terror scholars through his undignified behavior, Rashi explains. When Rav Shmuel by Rav Yitzchak passed away, what does it say over there? It says a pillar of fire appeared, separating him from all those who were near him. So suddenly he goes and passes away, and they bury him, and there's a pillar of fire on his, on him, where he's buried all the way up. It shows how special he was. So even though, what, so, so, we, so we have to understand this, because the Tamil Chachamim, seemingly they're, they're acting foolish and, and, and belittling the honor that's, that's due to a Tamil Chachim. But we see together with that, that when he passes away, there's a pillar of fire going up. So what's going on here? Was he a fool or not? But like, how does this understood? So Isaiah thereupon there retracted his previous remarks. So Isaiah said, uh, you're embarrassing us, and he took it back. Three versions of his of what he what like his take back it brought down the Gemara. The first, the venerable sage has been well served by his sprig, by the sprig that he was 
dancing with, so it was well served, and it says it's um, Shute, the spirit of murder with which he had used to dance. Another, as Rashi explained, another version is, second version, the venerable sage had been well served by his folly, Shute, for he clowned like a fool, Rashi. Even Rashi is kind of like a fool, like like he did something that sort of speaks shtus, but we're talking about, we see here, shtus lamaila, a positive version of it, of higher than reasoning. The third version, the animal sage had been well served by his policy, shitasei, by his customary course of conduct, meaning by the way he was acting. So we see here that this is a version of shtus, but in a positive, that's, that ultimately, in this case, it was it made him so much greater than everyone else. And that's what we're going to talk about. Folly of this kind transcends understanding. And that represents a wondrous, superior mode of conduct. The following citation from the Talmud throws light on the on a non-rational, i-super-rational conduct of the Babylonian stage of the wedding. So what we see here is that his non-rational or super-rational behavior caused it to happen. Let's continue. A man ish and a woman isha are found worthy. The divine presence abides between them. For Ish is comprised of Ash, fire, and the letter Yud. Isha is comprised of Ash, Aleph, Shin, and the letter He. So when a man and a woman are found worthy, the husband and wife, they, they get along properly and they behave the way they should. So i.e., when they approach marriage in a godly way, the letter Yud and the He combine to spell the name of God, meaning the Shekhinah dwells in, in their midst. Moreover, the divine presence then becomes manifest in a kind of marriage that is called Bidin Adiyad, an everlasting edifice. So if a husband and wife behave in a godly way in their marriage, so then the divine presence dwells within them, which is the ultimate purpose of what we're talking about. Because a marriage that's elicited such prodigious spiritual power, the joy of the sage at a wedding would burst into conventional bounds and propriety. And this explains why they dance like this. Even though it doesn't make sense, it was a little bit belittling in a certain sense. But why were they doing that? Because they appreciated what is a wedding. A wedding is a union between a husband, a man, and a woman. And if you're done right, you have God dwelling down here. The whole deal with is happening in a very true, real way. So they were so excited. So they it, it let them express themselves in this super rational way. Indeed, in the wake of the dance of Rashmul Barav Yitzhak, he was granted a sublime revelation of divine favor. A pillar of fire appeared, separating him from all those who were near him. A true revelation of divine light. It's because of his dance. At the wedding, it was, it was connected with the wedding. Because the wedding is such a high spiritual place. That's what helped him. It wasn't just that he danced. It was a dance at a wedding, which shows the ability of what we can achieve by going in the, in the sub super rational, in the positive, bring down godliness. The explanation of the, ne- of the necessity of this folly of holiness follows the pattern of behavior that transcends reason. Lies in the following teaching, God in the infinite ain't safe. So the reason why it has to be done this way will be understood by what it says in regards to their ain't safe. No thought can grasp him at all. For God transcends the very category of understanding. Meaning we can't understand God, not because his understanding is way above our understanding, because he doesn't have understanding like we have understanding. It's not like God, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, so to speak, the difference between a rabbi and a chassid. It's not like in the literature world, you have a god. What's a god? He's a guy that learned that he's, he's a better mind and he put in more efforts and, and he's talented more and he learned more than you. And so you either can learn more or you can't learn more. Whereas a chassid and a rebbe, it's not like the rebbe just smarter than us and he learned more than us. He made it up from different stuff. So to, you know, infinitely more so is by Hashem. 
his chachma, his wisdom is not, his understanding is not, he got a, has like a, a better understanding of things. It, it's, it's in a totally different realm. Not, it transcends the very category of understanding. The sublimeness of spiritual concepts is still within the reach of the mortal mind. But that which transcends the very category of understanding is beyond the gospel of mortal thought. So meaning, it's all like, if we learn enough, we'll understand how God sees things. He's, he's, it's like works on different materials. It's like different wavelengths. It just doesn't work. So the Tanya in chapter 18 expresses the concept as follows. In relation to the Almighty, who is beyond intelligence and knowledge, and who can in no way be comprehended by any thought, all men are like fools before him. As it is written, I am foolish and ignorant. I am as a beast before you. I am, and then it says, and I am constantly with you. Meaning that because I am approaching you as a fool and a beast, i.e. through ir the irrational power of faith, you precisely therefore there I am constantly with you. Meaning if you're going to try to get close to God with logic, it's not going to work because your logic is not going to end off godliness. It's, 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 his understanding is totally in a different wavelength, totally different world. It never meets up. That's why it says, and it brings up unto him, what does it say? I'm foolish and ignorant, and I'm a beast before you, and I'm constantly with you. Now, seemingly, the simple touch, what doesn't make sense? I am, I'm a fool, I'm ignorant, I'm a beast, but I am before you. If you're all these negative traits, and how are you before you? It's because he's, he's trying to say that you're not coming to God with your own intellect, your own understanding, your own version of the world, because you, that's never going to get you to God. You're coming with the simplicity. That, that, that I don't understand anything, I do what God wants, that's what God you know, wants for me. It's not saying that we don't have to understand the mitzvahs. We have to appreciate the, the, the issue, the, the, the lack of, so to speak, words that we have in regards to God. So you can't come say, you know, I don't understand why God does these things. Like, like oh, you know, what is he doing? You know, I would do so differently. Yeah, you understand, it's like two different worlds. But when you come through this irrational behavior, then you can, then you can connect. In order to relate to God's essence, one must make a self-effacing commitment that transcends the bounds of reason. In order to connect to God's essence, you have to do things that are above reason. doesn't mean you have to be like an idiot, but you have to realize, you have to, he'll explain. He gives a good example. Hence, this level of spiritual attainment is also called folly. And therefore, this is also called folly. It's folly in the positive. Similarly, we find a prophet referred to as a madman, as in the verse, why did this madman come? For during the revelation prophecy, the person had to divest himself of materiality. He had to step beyond his understanding and emotions and to attain a level of self-nullification beyond all limits of reason. And a lot of Nevi'im, when they do the Nevoah, they do really crazy things. Because they just because you're trying to tap into something that's above logic and above understanding, so you have to go above that as well. For this reason, two prophets would remove their clothing during prophetic revelation. That's what we find. Shaul also removed his clothing and prophesied. The need for clothes first came about as a result of the sin, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Before the sin, Adam and his wife were naked, and they were not ashamed. But after the sin, man's feelings um, has to instinct, instinctively good comprise both good and evil. In, a, in the beginning, their, their feelings, which were in the beginning good, became mixed with bad, evil. Indeed, this is the core of their sin, as implied later in the verse. They knew they were naked. That's, that's the mistake, like it says in the Pasuk, that they knew they were naked. Before that, what do you mean they didn't know they were naked? It didn't bother them. Now they knew, now the nakedness became an issue. Before it wasn't an issue. Yeah. At this point, they felt, they, at this point, they first felt the need for clothes. 
Bevada didn't feel the need for it. They knew they were naked, just didn't feel the need for clothing. The ultimate thought, because there was nothing wrong with being naked then. But only afterwards, when there was a mixture of good and evil, so suddenly being naked could lead to things that aren't so good. So then they realized they need to cover themselves up. The ultimate source of their experience of feelings comprised both good and evil. And is one's awareness of his own intelligence and emotions. The prophecy thus demands divesting oneself of one's clothes. I divesting oneself with awareness of one's own intellect and emotions. And nullifying one's own faculties and sensibilities. In order to prophesize, you can't, you can't, you can't get yourself in the way. To get yourself out of the way. And that's what they were, and that's what they were doing by taking off their clothes. They're trying to get themselves totally out of it. It wasn't about them anymore. They were like going back to where it was before Abraham Chava ate from the tree of knowledge. That's Rambam writes in Hilchah Yisraeliyateya. It is one of the fundamental tenets of the faith to know that God grants prophecy to men. Prophecy will rest only on a man who is wise and courageous, who overcomes his desires, and whose desires never overcome him in any matter. Such conduct will enable a, a diverse deviation that transcends the acceptance of norms, of reasons and understanding. It's called folly. Being able to have that self-control and be able to do these things and, and, and not go according to the norms of the world and just go and do these things, that's what's called falling in the positive. Well, he's going to give an example. Having now understood the two levels, 12 age 24, we're going to try to finish it. Having now understood the two levels of folly, shtus, we can now revert to the explanation of why the Mishkan had to be built specifically of Acacia wood, Shittim. And now we understand what does it mean, folly in the positive. Let's go back to the Mishkan and how does it fit in? As stated above, the intent of the divine service of the Mishkan, the Mishkan English, was to transform darkness into light to the degree where the darkness itself would be luminous. I to transform the spirit of folly that stems from the other side into the fully the folly of holiness. And that's the point. Just like we talked about in the beginning, the purpose of the Mishkan was to bring dark light into darkness. But so too with the wood that this the shittim from the Lord of Shtus, we should take the negative shtus in our world that we do things without any lo lo logic to do things above logic in the positive. Mishkan is therefore made of acacia wood whose very name, the holy tongue, shittim, Echoes the word for folly, shtus, for it thus embodied the principle that conduct, the principle that conduct with which is folly in the sense that it is lower than reason, ought to be transformed into conduct which is folly in the sense of the transcends reason. You take something that's you take something that that you or you act in a way that's lower than reason, so you transform that to act in a way that's higher than reason. We now more fully appreciate the teachings, and they shall make for me a sanctuary, and I shall dwell within them. God dwells within each individual through his divine service of personal refinement, which transformed darkness into light, and through his efforts at turning the sub-rational elements of the world into super-rational, below reason to above reason. On a practical level, there are things that a person, that people do, only because everyone does them. It's a perfect example. He's saying, let's take, for example, you do think, why? Because everyone does them. Certain folk ways that are conventionally held to be proper, for example, crystallizing into um, unilateral laws. Crystallize into uni unilateral laws. Such unreasonable, I don't, I don't know what that is. Certain folkways that are conventionally held to be proper, like the example I gave before about that in France, if you stay for breakfast and it's lunchtime, you have to, you wait and you wait till lunch, you eat lunch in the restaurant. But it could be anything, it's the times we eat, and it, it really, you know, my father, when he became religious, he said, one thing he told me, he said he, he went over all etiquette that he had brought, been brought up with, and he analyzed it. And he analyzed, is that good etiquette, or is that just stuss? 
and and we're going to analyze. If we want to do this properly, we're going to sit down and analyze ourselves, and what what are the things that we do that day, and why are we doing it? We have to analyze it. Does this make sense? Is this rational? Is this super rational? Just why I do it? Because that's how you know that's how I grew up. Especially in the beginning of marriage, I think a lot of it is, a lot of it's like that. We just do this. That's how we know. That's all. We don't know any better, any different. This is just how we did it. So such unreasonable habits ought to be transformed through one's own endeavors. Instead of remaining below reason, they should be elevated above reason. Business commitments, for example, pressing as they may be, do not generally overrule the time for conventionally prescribed for the times that convention prescribes for eating and sleeping. They do, however, sometimes set aside or even cancel the fixed times that should be regularly scheduled for terror starting prayer. For example, business meeting won't be made early in the morning because you've got to do things early in the morning. But sometimes they'll be made during the time we have to daven or learn, you have something at commitments, and so you're like, whatever, that can, you know, eating is important. I can't miss out on eating, but daven and learning, yeah, whatever. And he's saying we have to try, let's switch it. When it comes to, you know, eating, I'll do it later. But when it comes to, like, just like it's important for you every day to eat and, and, and take a shower and take care of yourself and do these things that are essential, by hook or by crook, no business meeting. You know, it's not like you're going to have a business meeting a whole day and you're not going to eat because you just, like, you're just too, I'm too busy. It doesn't happen. You're going to come and sit there and say, I need some time to eat. So you have to, you have to have that, so to speak, super rational in regards to, to learning. That by, it doesn't matter. I'm going to every day learn. I'm going to dive in every day. Whatever it is that, that you want, that it should be set for you, that it's not something that's easy, easily attainable. You're not doing You should do that. That's what he's saying. A man who feels accountable to his soul should ask himself. If you really feel that you want to connect with your soul and your soul is important, so you have to ask yourself, is there any wisdom in such conduct? Who is the man who knows when his time will come? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. In the words of the Medjish Rabbah, it is not given to man to tell the angel of death, wait until I've settled my accounts and arranged my household. You can't come and say to the angel of death, hey, you know, yesterday was such a good day. Today, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to take care of all the things I need to do. And then you can come take me away and I'll be good. I'll be on the good stead over there. How then can a man expand, expand his soul's energy on goals that have no substance? So you say, therefore, you have to focus. Is it important that you ate at the right time? Or that you made sure to eat, but you didn't learn? Is that really what's important? <laughs> and then the day, the eating is going to be tomorrow and the day after. But learning every day, it's like it learn like the moment that Michal taught in the summer, uh, that, that, that every day has its avoidance. Can't, you can't daven once a week for the whole week. Every day needs that davening. You have to realize this. And I only forget the purpose of which he sold the in the law below. Let him realize that, there is, that this possibility comes only from the spirit of folly which he was given to elevate and transform. And the whole purpose of Neshama coming down is to elevate yourself, your body, in Nefesh Bahamas. With that realization, he will stand fast and fixed and fixed times for the study of Torah, and then I'll dwell within each and every one of them. Divine light will be revealed within the soul and luminate that will make things that it has to be. Certain standards for ourselves, and those standards will be held strongly. This will be, you'll be uh, irrational about it. That, that I has to be. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care what happened. I don't care if I'm not feeling good. I'm doing it. And that's what he's saying. And when you do that, you, you make the divine presence dwell. And that's also transforming yourself from having those things in the negative to the positive. This is the meaning of the Bab quoted statement of the Zaya when the Sitch is subdued, i.e., when the foolishness of the animal soul and the excitement of worldly pleasures have been transformed into holiness through the fulfillment of Torah and Mitzvahs. Then the glory of God rises thereby. 
and is diffused throughout all worlds. The transcendent light of Sevakal Almond, which shines forth in, in, in lustrous revelation. And that's what you achieve by doing this. And that's the ultimate purpose. So it's about Iskafia, and we talked about it before, about Isabcha, and it's about this, this folly that, that going super rational instead of sub rational. So it's recognizing all the things that need to be worked on, or one of the things like we talked about before, that one thing Nash Muhammad is, is, is getting you. And you have to switch it. You have to become super rational about it. Summary. The above chapter explains that just as there is a folly that derives from the unholy side of the universe, so too there is a folly of holiness, a deviation which is above bounds of reason. An example of this is the fact that prophecy requires one to first divest himself of the awareness of his own mind and emotions, I that one transcend one's own mind and emotions. The fact that the Mishkan was made of acacia wood, Shittim, is a reminder of how in one's daily life one can transform the folly of evil, the Shtus, this Shittim, which is Shtus, in the negative, into a holiness, a shtus of holiness. We finish the Maimon. Give everyone a bracha that we should be able to, to internalize this a little bit and recognize the Nefesh and do some Iskafia and some Ishabcha and recognize where there's the shtus in the negative and, and, and turn it into shtus in the positive. And through that, we'll be a, a make a dir for Hashem and we'll bring Mashiach. Amen. Kenya, you're